Welcome to the Surveillance Report 160 Q&A, where we are answering your questions from our patrons, $5 a month or more, who have chosen to leave a question. So this week, we got a question from Bender regarding our highlight story. Great username, by the way. We have a question from Rasta about apps required for work. We have another fun, interesting question from Cracker Barrel Biscuits, which we'll get to. And David Johnson has a question about front ends and meta search engines and things like that. So let's go ahead and dive in. We'll start with Bender's question. And this regards the 404 media story that was our headline story this past week on Surveillance Report. So if you haven't watched that yet, definitely at least check out the headline story so you're up to speed. And in regard to that story, Bender says, do you know of any ways to permanently disable microphones and smart TVs? I already keep my phone mic and sensors turned off, but I don't know how to do the same for TVs. Are there any online forums you can recommend to seek out solutions? I'm going to try really hard to not be so long-winded this week. My first question would be make sure that the TV even has a microphone because from what I've seen, a lot of especially the cheaper smart TVs, the mic is actually built into the remote. So the TV might have like microphone capabilities, but it's actually built into, again, the remote. If it definitely does have, I would say, I'm sure you've already tried this, but check the settings. And if that doesn't work, I would say maybe a pie hole. See if you can figure out where it's trying to send data to, but that might be a little bit more advanced. I think the thing is, I think what we're leaning towards is you're probably going to have to like physically disable it. And I'm hesitant to recommend that because that's one of those things that like, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to screw it up. So if that's where you end up, I would say, um, check YouTube. YouTube, as much as I hate to admit it, usually has really good tutorials for this kind of stuff, especially if it's a popular TV model. As far as specific forums, I don't have any. You know, Reddit is always my go-to. I know Reddit has lots of problems, but they're a good go-to to start there. And if nothing else, maybe they can recommend some forums or some tutorials and just uh, search real hard. That's that's all I got. Just for context, I just quickly looked this up. There's a Samsung QLED TV smart remote teardown on iFixit. Then, oh yeah, iFixit's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I can't tell if there's a microphone built into this one. There is. So step eight of this, it's a Samsung QLED TV smart remote teardown. You can probably type that in. And it says it gives you the location on iFixit of the microphone. And just you just have to see how the microphone connects to the motherboard. And you just have to dis- disconnect that. Again, it's something that I'm not going to recommend just willy-nilly to everybody to do and keep in mind you're going to risk you know losing warranty and maybe losing the remote but if it's just in the remote it's not that risky you can just buy a new remote also check to see if you see what remotes are supported by your tv as well because you can get a new remote that doesn't have a microphone that might still be compatible with your television otherwise uh, the really just blanket you, you don't want any risk nothing just don't connect the TV to internet and keep it offline entirely. To be fair, I've heard, I don't know how true this is, but I've heard there are some TVs that will automatically scan for any open network. So depending on your living situation, like if you live in an apartment and your neighbor for whatever reason in 2024 doesn't lock their Wi-Fi, then it'll just hop on that and start transmitting. Right. But just check. I mean, I'm sure it'll tell you even in your Wi-Fi settings if it's connected to a network. So just check your Wi-Fi. You can just disable Wi-Fi, keep it on airplane mode. I don't know how smart TVs work. I don't have one. But I assume there's a way to just fully disable all internet functionality, at least via software. Then to be fair, though, they have a smart TV, so presumably they want some of the functionality. Or maybe not. Maybe they're one of those people that just couldn't find a a dumb TV. So Right. Well, and that's what I'd say to that is... Because we made a whole Why I Hate Smart TVs video a couple years ago now on TechLore. It's one of the more off-privacy videos that we've made of just why I hate smart TVs. I think they suck, not even from a privacy perspective. And it's because they have they try to do everything, but they do it all terribly. So 
I think it's actually better to just not use any of the built-in crap on those TVs and then rely on something else where you have more control to connect to the TV. So I don't care what it is. It could be a PlayStation, it could be an Xbox, it could be a Roke. I don't, I don't know. I'm just throwing out random things. But connect something else to the TV that you do have control over and you don't have to worry about whatever your smart TV is doing. Raspberry Pi. I do have that in my house. We have Raspberry Pis on the back of the TVs that we can use as a smart TV if we want. Super cool. All right, next question is from Rasta. For work, I've required to use an app to clock in and out within a location radius from the place of work, request leave, and generally manage certain job functions. Do you have a suggestion for privacy with this short of running a second phone just to clock in and out with? App examples such as Humanity, Connect Team, and ADP. An addendum I've discovered is that with Connect Team specifically, if you do not make sure to shut the app down after clocking out, it will continue to track your location from the background. What's weird is it doesn't continue tracking you after clocking in, which is really interesting, actually. Kind of weird. I don't know if that's on purpose or not, but that's very interesting. Honestly, I don't have much to add here. You can always use work profiles if you're on Android, and that's specifically designed for this use case. That's exactly what it's for. You have a separate series of applications. It's just for work. And when you're done with work, you can turn off the work profile and it pauses all those apps and you don't see anything from those apps. The privacy protections from that, you can debate a little bit because it's still on the same device and whatnot, but you should be able to just power off that work profile and that's done. If you're on iOS, then you're probably going to need a second work device. And honestly, I think a second work device is the way to go, not just from a privacy perspective, but from a compartmentalization perspective. I know it's a little bit of a privileged thing, but nowadays I think a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people at least have an older device that they used to have that they can now use and repurpose as just a work device. So I'm sure if you don't have one, then ask a friend or a family member if they just have an old phone laying around that they're not using anymore that's in their drawer. I think there's a lot of just older devices that people just don't know what to do with. So that's all I have to say. I don't know if Nate has another solution here. I do have some experience with these actually. And some of them, I know like ADP, you can use the web browser on the phone. Now, granted, when I use these apps, we just used them for clock in and out. We didn't use any job functions that you mentioned. And also I was a freelancer at the time, so I didn't have to request leave. I just told them, you know, when they sent me the schedule, like pick your shifts for next week. I was like, none. I know some of them will work in the browser. So you can maybe consider like a, like a PWA or just bookmark it. I would also say if you do have to use the app for whatever reason, set it to not continue tracking your location when you're not using it, things like that. Ever since I found out, and again, I'm going to date myself back on the very first iPhone, when I found out that just hitting the home button doesn't actually close the app and that you need to like double tap and swipe it away. Ever since then, I've been like compulsively, like when I'm done with an app, it's gone. So maybe that's just a habit you need to develop. Other than that, yeah, I I agree with Henry. If you're not in a position where you can afford a work device, which especially I I get it. If it's literally just to clock in and out and maybe do like three things a day, I wouldn't want to spend that kind of money either. So my mother was the freaking queen of having 10 million old phones lying around. That's actually how I got my uh, lineage phone, which I have right next to me. Anyways, if you know somebody like that in your life, feel free to reach out to them and be like, hey, you have 10 million phones you're not using, right? Can I have one? Or, you know, Craigslist, eBay. Only only thing I, f- I just remembered, because you said this in the past too, don't hesitate to ask your your office and your work to see if they'll supply you your phone. You can say something like, my, my phone doesn't have storage or my phone doesn't support this or I don't want this on my personal device. Can you guys supply a work device for these apps and see what they say? And, and even if they, they won't officially do it, that could be one of those situations where the boss is like, well, that's not company policy, but let me ask some of the guys and see if anyone has an old phone. 
Next one comes from Cracker Barrel Biscuits. I like this one. If you got trapped on an island and was only able to eat one specific food forever, what would you pick? Could be a menu item from a restaurant or a homemade meal. This is the most stereotypical thing I'm ever going to say in my life. Pizza. I know for a fact that I can eat pizza for every meal for an unhealthy number of days in a row before I even start to get sick of it. Especially if, I don't know if this is allowed in the rules, but if I can mix it up and get like, Everyone, half of the internet's about to hate me. If I can get like Hawaiian pizza one day and like a veggie pizza the next day, like, oh man, I, I could live on pizza. Well, I think the formal workaround, because you can't change the item. They said one specific food. The workaround is a pizza with everything on it like. that you can remove. There you go. Henry's thinking next level right there. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, that's my answer. That's what Henry said. A pizza with everything on it, and I'll just pick off whatever I don't like any given day. My thing here is... I think no matter what the food is, I'm going to get tired of it. So, I mean, if we're being honest, probably eventually. But. Yeah, so so I'm going to take the approach of I'm going to prioritize what's going to make me feel the best and live the longest and be able to survive trapped on an island and still be able to like run and have fun with life as, as much as I could. So I'd probably have my normal lunch, which is kind of like a, a power bowl. I'll normally have garbanzo beans, black beans, quinoa, some avocado and like tofu mixed in there. And then sometimes I'll throw in walnuts. Uh, I don't know if I already said avocado. That sounds delicious for the record. It's so good. And it's such an easy, <laughs> I love bowls because they're I'm so I'm not easy. even joking. That sounds great. Right. And then mix some <laughs> hemp seeds in there, nutritional yeast, got to get that B12 and then sriracha. Oh, and kale, like some veggies, some, some kale. I think I'd want okay, some more, so like kale. kale, bell peppers, so like I just I would just throw a ton of stuff in there, and it's just a bowl, and it's hard to get tired of that, because there's so much variety in the bowl. It's not hard to make, and it's something that you can realistically probably eat for the rest of your life, and it'll actually probably be significantly better than the average meal that most people eat, even without the variety, because there's so much variety in that meal, so... Next question from David Johnson. What do you think are the best use cases for intermediaries for search like Google and video streaming like YouTube, such as Search, Metagur, Manager, Mojik, and Hoogle for the former and Invidious for the latter? So these are all front ends. So for those who don't know what these are, instead of directly going to YouTube.com, you would go to something like Invidious, an instance of Invidious, to be able to watch the same videos from YouTube. So they're not hosting their own videos. They're just pretty much fetching the videos for you, presenting them to you directly from YouTube, but you're going to a different site. And a lot of times that comes with privacy benefits or less tracking or a different interface or something like that. And they said the one obvious application would be use on browsers with browsing history or other open pages present. In the opposite scenario, if using a hardened Firefox or one of its forks with minimal add-ons and tweaks of the generic fingerprint with cleared browsing history behind a VPN and possibly even a VM, how much benefit do you think these proxies provide? So you're asking for use cases and what benefits these services provide, and I'm sure Nate will have some as well. Frankly, for me, they don't offer a huge amount of benefit because I already take a lot of privacy and security precautions that, like you said, I already have a browser set up to be able to just directly search through Google in a way that's going to wipe all that data on exit. And I don't have an issue with that personally. If I wanted to be a little bit more intense about it and it was something that was maybe a little bit more sensitive, I probably wouldn't be using Google in the first place, or I would use something a little bit more robust like the Tor browser. But then the issue then, and here's where I think they can really be powerful, is if you try to access Google.com or YouTube through Tor, they might kick you out or capture you into oblivion. And sometimes you can get away a little bit better with these instances or these front ends or, or stuff like that. So 
It's also nice for people who prefer different interfaces. If you don't like YouTube releasing a new feature that maybe makes it harder to disable autoplay or something like that, that's where some of these front ends might be better as well. And also some of these kind of combine their own features. So for example, search isn't just a Google front end. Search allows you to select Google and Yahoo and Bing and DuckDuckGo. And so you can customize it and make it a whole new thing. So some of these actually provide new value that you can't find on the original platform. And also I'll just add, they are more transparent too. You know, a lot of these are open source. They can be self-hosted, like NVIDIA's can be self-hosted by yourself. And so it does give you a little bit more control and autonomy. But remember, and this is something that Jonah and I, I think like drilled into people's heads for a whole two months on TechLore, you're still going through or at the end of the day, the original source of information. So if YouTube wants to shut down a service or YouTube wants to make it hard for people to use NVIDIA, they definitely can, and they have. So that's the limitation of the front ends. I'll open it up to you. I don't have a lot of thought because I don't use a lot of these services anymore, Me neither. to be honest. Me neither. I don't have a huge use case. Yeah, it's it's almost like privacy for most people, I think, probably follows a very generally typical arc. Like you generally don't meet a lot of people who are like, oh, I learned about privacy and immediately installed cubes. So like a lot of people probably start with like DuckDuckGo and start page. And then they move on to things like CRX and Metager and whatnot. I'm honestly kind of on Brave right now. And and I'm for the record, I understand they're a controversial company. I'm not saying everyone should go use Brave, but I like the fact that it's an independent index and it's not just a, a meta search engine. It's not just a front end for all these other services. In terms of how much benefit do they provide, I think they do provide benefit. Like Henry said, like CRX and even DuckDuckGo to some lesser extent, they're not just Google or they're not just Bing. They're a bunch of different search engines coming together. And I do think there's value in that because like, I I remember back when I used to be on CRX or search, I don't know how it's pronounced. I call it CRX. I apologize if that's wrong. But back when I used to be on CRX, I remember at work one time, my, my project manager was struggling really hard to find some specific part. Like he had the part number. But for some reason, he could not find this part to save his life. So he handed it off to me, and he's like, here, like you you find this. And literally in one search on CRX, I found it. It was like the third result because CRX pulls from so many different search engines. So there's definitely use cases for them. I'm not saying nobody should ever use them. And then same thing for like video streaming, specifically YouTube. I, I tried NVIDIA's for a while, and then I moved over to Piped because Piped has built-in sponsor block. And the issue with all of them is none of them are stable. You know, like I even, I feel really bad because I got my wife using LibreTube. And when I checked in with her a few months later, she was like, honestly, I stopped using it because I could never find an instance that worked. It's not stable. But I guess as far as like use cases and and benefits, I mean, if you were to use some of these proxies like propped again, or piped again, it it has the sponsor block built into it. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people who don't use ad blockers and stuff, you know, Invidious would offer ad blocking. And depending on, I think there's certain instances that automatically proxy your content. So Google doesn't get your IP address and you don't have to worry about Tor and VPNs and stuff like that. I could be wrong about that one. At the end of the day, I think you need to find what works for you, especially in the YouTube thing. I just want to point out there's some, like some of the creators I follow, like the Linux experiment is on PeerTube, And I think Naomi Brockwell is on Odyssey. I don't use Odyssey, but for those of you who do, there's all these different creators that like can I find them somewhere other than YouTube and maybe start there? I don't know if that was actually an answer to the question, to be totally honest, but that's kind of where my brain went as far as like use cases and benefits. Fun fact, the lead developer of SponsorBlock, 
little history lessons. The Valence Report used to be on the Techlore channel, and then we moved it over to its own channel. We did that. And one of the things that I said on Techlore that I was very proud of saying was when we first introduced sponsors, because we didn't have sponsors for, what, like half a decade, and we finally introduced sponsors and we said they will always be timestamped in the description. You will always be able to see them. There's no need to install Sponsor Block to watch our content. So Valence Report moved over to its own channel and we don't really have sponsor spots. We don't have sponsors on surveillance support, but we have those promo segments. And we didn't originally use the timestamp those. And so the lead developer sponsor block, I think, is familiar with our content because he immediately reached out very early on when we had that new surveillance support channel. And he said, hey, I thought you guys timestamped the sponsor segments, but on surveillance support, this video I was watching, you guys didn't do it on this video. And I explained, oh, you know, like... That's a different channel. We weren't really anticipating that, and it's not technically a sponsor segment. We normally just say support us on Patreon, but we'll start doing that from here on out. So I think I remember that. Yeah, so it, all of you who use timestamps and have seen that we always timestamp the support us section of this podcast, that's because of the sponsor block developer who kind of drew attention to it for us. So little little fun history lesson for surveillance support. That was all the questions this week. Thank you guys. Really good questions. And I'm glad we kept a little shorter this time. And if you want to ask us a question on the next one, $5 a month or more on Patreon and stick around for SR 161, which should be coming your way soon, (laughs) very shortly. So yeah, holidays, man, disrupts everything, but enjoy time with your families anyways, if you celebrate and do that.